Hello and welcome back to Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. It's been a little bit since I have recorded an episode. Uh, I'll have a little explanation at the end uh, if anybody is interested. It has to do with just some health issues I've been having for the most part. Um, but this is going to be episode 67 and 68, a little bit combined. And by a little bit, I mean totally. Um, Along with that, I should also let you know that I um, don't have quite the in-depth stuff. This is probably going to be the same length as just a standard episode, even though it's two combined, um, because I am behind on a, on an amount of stuff. I am probably going to skip over Kenobi parts, uh, well, part four, and uh, some of the recent Strange New World stuff, and talk more about Ms. Marvel and the uh, finale of... Young Justice, which happened a couple of weeks ago on HBO Max. Um, and then, of course, we have some comic stuff. I'm still behind on Saga and Monstrous. My husband is getting so frustrated because he wants to talk to me about them, and I'm just behind on a bunch of stuff because of all these issues I've been having. But um, here we are, and we are going to make the best of it, and for the sake of putting something out um, and keeping this going, uh, we are going to put out what I have prepared today. I also have to uh, let you know that we have recently adopted a kitten. Um, so at some point in the podcast, he might, he's asleep right now, he might wake up and start meowing. So if that happens, I'm probably going to do my best to ignore him because he needs to learn to entertain himself. <laughs> he's that little. Um, and we'll just kind of keep going. But just FYI, it may happen at some point in the podcast. With any luck, both cats will be sleeping the whole time. Though. We'll see. Uh, this episode, as it is a 67-68 combined, is going to have a good chunk of news. Um, I'm a little light on what we're going to be talking about in the topics themselves, but uh, it's a lot of stuff. Um, so there's a lot, and a lot of really interesting stuff at that too. So um, a lot of cool new stuff. I do have a fun uh, picks that were from the 7th and the 8th, so the week of the 8th, and the 14th, 15th, so the this the week after that. And then, of course, we're going to go across this week's picks that came out on the 21st to the 22nd on the Monday podcast, episode 69. Which, hopefully, by then, I will also have a good amount of uh, the comics that I'm behind on caught up on. No promises. We're, we're still getting healthier here. <laughs> Um, so we're doing the best we can. We're gonna, we're gonna keep it going though, because I love doing this podcast and I love getting sweaty about this stupid stuff on the internet with you. So let's get going. I am going to be having a fresh link to the Yancey Street Discord at the bottom of this episode. If you are interested, it'll be in the link. The link will be in the description below. Um, it's you know, just all kinds of chat for whatever you want. It doesn't have to be nerd stuff, but obviously everybody who's in there is going to have that interest because that's what we're all interested in here, right? Um, you can find me online. My Instagram is Anna with the comics. I have a lot of cute kitten pictures, um, if you're interested in that. Uh, mostly posting it to my, uh, my stories because I don't post my post as much as I used to. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Twitter, you can find me at Savage She Geek. 
and my website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. Um, I've worked a lot in the last couple of, last month or two, uh, fixing up the site a lot, so it is a lot more relevant in addition to the podcast, um, including a beginner's guide on both comics and manga, covering, I hope, any information that you might need to take your first steps into the world of reading comics, which does include recommendations on indie comics, quote-unquote big two comics, um, graphic novels, uh, etc. So a lot of cool stuff up there. You have reading orders for various leading ladies, specifically um, a couple that are relevant right now in the comics as well as a little bit in the uh, mostly just in the comics to be honest, is Clea, Madeline Pryor, and Magic. So if you want to know more about them, I have literally all of the- well, not so much on magic because she's got a lot more appearances but i have like the bulk of her information and literally everything on clea and madeline prior that you could possibly want so check that out if you were a fan of those characters um anything that you want to look about uh, referencing comics or pop culture pre-2021 you will find as written content on the blog because that was before i started the podcast and i ran the blog for a couple of years before that with all of the pick lists and pull lists and reviews and discussions of things in written format. So those are all up there that you can um, go back and reference if you would like as well. Finally, I do have the pod notes, which are podcast notes for uh, basically reading the podcast instead of listening to it for anyone who just wants to do that or anyone who is hearing impaired. Um, pod notes are just what I follow through the recording each week. So you can just read it yourself if you'd like. Um, and you can also find links to everywhere that you can listen to this podcast, which does include most, if not all, podcast hosting apps and also YouTube. My YouTube is Sensational She Geek. You can find the podcast episodes there as well, if that's easier for you to listen in them to them in a YouTube playlist. Um, I also post action figure review videos on my YouTube channel. Um, it's been a lot more of imports recently uh, for what little I've posted recently um, as I pretty much I, I honestly have kind of given up on Hasbro's Marvel Legends um, but I do have a rather large backlog of Legends videos including the HasLab Sentinel and hopefully fingers crossed Galactus will be shipping soon because we got him as well and you bet that I will be covering all of his information in a video too um, I do have a podcast Patreon that is Sensational She Geek set up for donations for the podcast. Um, I've been towing around with podcast after shows if there's any interest for patrons. Um, and there's a couple up there that have been made available for public. So if you uh, would like to see if that's something that you are interested in becoming a patron for, there's a few examples up there. Um, national news and whatnot. <laughs> Uh, is the kind of thing that I will be covering on after shows. Uh, I also have Kofi, which is like a buy a creator a coffee kind of situation, uh, Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, all that stuff linked on my link tree all over my website as well for donations towards the podcast. And that should appear linked among all kinds of other fun things at the bottom of each episode's description. I have been having a few issues with my Redbubble store. Um, they seem to refuse to post some of the things that I have designed. But um, with any luck, I will be getting those done as stickers that will be for sale um, sometime by the end of the year. 
And then we can also uh, keep what Redbubble shop is up there under She Geek Shop if you are interested in some fun geek-related merch as well. A couple of fun things before we get into the serious points of the news. Um, some fun stuff on Netflix has returned, including The Umbrella Academy. It is up with season three. We have watched, we being myself and my husband, uh, the first episode. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. This seems to be kind of a mishmash of catching up to where the Umbrella Academy comics are and going beyond it. And if you've read the um, third volume of the Umbrella Academy, which was Hotel Oblivion, you will understand that. Um, and yes, the final episode of this third season of Umbrella Academy is titled Oblivion. Um, you can bet your booties that it is related to the story arcs of Hotel Oblivion. But I get beyond myself. You can go check that all out and definitely check out the comics too. They are awesome, if not extremely kooky if also extremely cookie, whatever. Not really a nerdy show, but something that I binged in like a two days was First Kill on Netflix. Um, it is a extremely queer um, vampire versus vampire hunter love story. They literally, it, it, it's kind of a thing that makes fun of itself as it goes along. They literally make all the metaphors to Romeo and Juliet as these two girls are falling for each other and it's it, 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 it's ridiculous. It is beyond insanely ridiculous, um, but also super cool at the same time. So go figure how that works out. I really enjoyed it. Maybe you will too. Also, um, I know I've mentioned it before, the uh, Motherland Fort Salem show is back with its third, I believe, third and final season. The first episode was quite fun, um, and I am look forward, looking forward to what they do with the rest of the season. That's on Hulu if you have any of that, or, you know, I'm sure there's other ways to find it pretty easily. The Black Adam trailer came out uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we are finally talking about it now. Um, really, really cool, obviously. This looks like um, they're doing an excellent job with everything. I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm not saying that this is something that's going to be the superhero or the, you know, the, the Cape comic movie that people take seriously. No, no, I'm not saying anything like that. Um, I'm not going to get all, you know, Joker with this or anything. We'll talk about, oh my God, don't even get me started. Um, <laughs> getting beyond that. Uh, I think it looks really cool. I, Dwayne Johnson, uh, The Rock as Black Adam is going to be pretty awesome. I think they're, uh, they did a, a good job getting him into acting shape and everything for this. I definitely felt like watching the trailer. I, um, I was given extreme, uh, Scorpion King vibes, right? You remember when The Rock was the Scorpion King and what a travesty of a movie that was, not to mention when he showed up in The Mummy before that. It was before that, right? The second Mummy movie? It must have been. Um, and then there was a spinoff, was the Scorpion King, right? That, that had to have been how it worked. But obviously, awful travesty of a cinematic thing. <laughs> um, and But I got Scorpion King vibes from this. So it kind of feels like maybe they're, I don't want to say fixing what Scorpion King did because they're not like redoing that in any way. But they're, you know, they're kind of like, giving The Rock a second go at that vibe and kind of doing it a, a bit, I mean, definitely a lot better. <laughs> Let's be real. Um, 
I was very happy to see also that it doesn't look like they're going to take themselves too too seriously with this either um they let slip a couple of times in the trailer a few points where they will be showing humor for sure we're not talking shazam level movie humor that was obviously and definitely much more in line with the character to be in that movie um but it's good that they do they are going to have like a couple of bits of humor it's just not going to be them trying to take themselves crazy seriously um it, it but it should be a lot of fun i that regardless of whatever minor, you know, BS may end up falling out of this movie, I think it'll genuinely be a lot of fun to watch and experience. The other characters that we've seen also, um, they look pretty cool. I can't say that I know a ton about Adam Smasher or um, Twirly Wind Girl, whatever the heck her name is. I say I didn't even get as far as to write that down. Um, but uh Hawkman that is awesome it looks like he is in the kind of uh, they they're doing more of the Thanagarian guard colors cuz he's he's um he's in a very red outfit very red and gold which uh f i mean in my mind it it resembles kind of a cinematic take on the Thanagarian guard um Thanagar being i hope i'm saying that right um, again, didn't write anything down for this portion of the podcast. Um, we're winging this, folks. Uh, Thanagar being the, the, the planet that a, a version of, it's a complicated thing with Hawkman. He comes and he comes and he, oh gosh, dirty mind. I'm sorry. I regret everything I just said. <laughs> Hawkman has a complicated history, a very, he had like basically multiple lives, right? We'll go with that. Um, Thanagar was where he came from on I want to say his first life or like the, the 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 main like thing the main planet of like where he came from and then you have Hawk Woman I refuse to call her Hawk Girl is she a girl or is she a woman come on guys come on okay anyway um point being um it looks like he is wearing the armor of the kind of red Thanagarian guard that he is at that point in the comics that he is a um, soldier of Thanagar, I guess. And of course we saw more of Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate. Oh my God, I almost said Professor Fate. How awkward would that have been? Um, as Dr. Fate, um, obviously looks awesome. I I've seen some people bitching about his helmet. I, I don't get it, honestly. I think the helmet looks great. Um, I think that that was something that is kind of maybe a bit like the Iron Man suit in a sense where you had to change it a little bit to translate it to fit over a body. IRL, you know. Uh, art can take certain liberties with sizing to make it look good on a page. Movies cannot. <laughs> um, so I think, I think it looks great, honestly. Um, and I'm excited to see what kind of his thing, you know, to my knowledge, again, I'm not like the top, um, I don't know, top brain on, um, I was gonna say Dr. Fate. It is Dr. Fate. Oh my gosh. I'm twisting myself up. Um, uh, I'm I'm not you know the, the top know-how on him, but I believe he comes in and like he he only really shows up when when shit's going down, kind of like um, 
you know, and he's got to step in and be like, yo, you got to stop this or I'm going to stop you, basically. Um, uh, I don't want to say cosmic because that's not it. It's it's magical. It's more like he's a magical, um, um, I don't know, guardian um, who kind of like keeps things in line a little bit. That's like a horrible explanation. (laughs) Um, But off the top of my head, it's what I came up with. The point there being that if he's going to be showing up and doing like actual battle stuff, I'm curious if they're going to be kind of, I, I guess I would have to say lessening his significance and making him just kind of like another hero that, sh- that pops up and is like fights and uses magic and stuff. Or is there going to be some like serious business coming in the third act that he steps in and let's be like, yo let's settle this, you know, the way that in my brain he he tends to do. We haven't really seen much on the villainesses of this movie. Um, The two sisters, who are like, they're Calypso and... Quick Google. Hespera, there we go. Um, We've got Lucy Liu and... Shoot, I'm blanking on her name. Helen Mirren are playing the sisters. Um, We haven't seen really... We haven't really seen much of them in the trailers, if any, so I'm excited to see them. I honestly, I I don't really see myself rooting against them, (laughs) but they're supposed to be the uh, daughters of Atlas and the villainesses of this movie. So presumably they will be going up against Dr. Fate um, while Black Adam is down for the count. I don't really know. I don't really know. We'll have to wait and see. Um, But speaking of trailers, there has been a lot of Thor Love and Thunder spots and previews and I think behind the scenes and stuff probably at this point. Um, I have not been watching them because I don't like sitting in the movie theater and being like, oh yeah, I've seen this already. This is from that trailer. And I always do that if I see the more trailers I see. So um, I'm not going to be discussing more of those, but get your tickets for the movie because they are on sale and the movie is in only like, hang on, let me see my calendar. Is it two weeks? Yeah, it's two, wow, two weeks away, July 8th. Two weeks, guys, get your tickets. I should probably look into that myself. Now, there have been a lot of announcements of new projects coming up, Um, so we're going to go ahead and and get into those real quick here, starting off with the Thunderbolts movie. Um, It has been officially announced at Marvel that they will be doing a Disney Plus... Oh, sorry, that's not Disney Plus, is it? They will be doing a Thunderbolts MCU film. Um, We don't have a ton of information right now. We do know that the movie is official... And we know that it has apparently gotten a director, Jake Schreer, um, who is known for the comedy drama Robot and Frank, as well as the teenage, I guess, targeted movie 
Paper Towns, which is based off of a John Green novel. Um, it's a little bit, oh, and apparently he's also directed a number of music videos for artists like Kanye West and Haim. So it's a little bit of an odd choice, in my opinion. Um, they must have, he must have had some really great idea on the direction that they want to go with this that Marvel really enjoyed. Um, but Thunderbolts movie, um, there's a lot of different ways that they, this could be going. I think the main theory is that this is going to be what Contessa Valentina de whatever her name is, um, is going to be, that's the scene that she is creating, right? Because she, we already know, has approached Yelena Belova. And she has approached U.S. Patriot, which I don't know if that's what they're calling him, um, but from the Falcon and the Civil War show. So we have at least those two characters who we can presume would go on to a Thunderbolts movie. So that's one way that they could take it. They could take it in a completely different direction, of course, and say that it's going to be like, oh, yeah, it's going to be um, Kate Bishop Hawkeye and Yelena Belova and I don't know, some other people. Um, but they have a couple of different options that they can do with this. I'm really curious what you people think, uh, listeners think their direction is going to be for this. Um, again, I'm struggling to find a connection between the announcement of the director and what I kind of originally perceived they would do with a Thunderbolts movie, right? Which was the Contessa Valentina de whatever. Um... I I don't know. We'll just kind of see it go forward. And apparently it is a movie, um, so it's not going to be a show. Um, possibly will take place in a different location than the Washington, New York kind of situation that we've seen mostly in the Marvel stuff so far. So who knows? Um, there's a lot of different options. They could really mishmash this as a bunch of different teams from the comics. Um, classic Thunderbolts teams from the comics tend to be made up of characters who are, I guess you would say, either um, former villains or anti-heroes. Um, you know, like I have this one Thunderbolts cover on my wall over here which has Elektra and uh, Punisher on it. And that's that was Elektra, Punisher, Deadpool, Red Hulk. Um, I don't remember who else was on that one, but it was a, it was that that was the lineup. So you can kind of see what the characters who are on the Thunderbolts generally are. Granted, there is going to be a new Thunderbolts series starting soon, actually, very soon in the comics, um, which is, I think, actually um, Clint... Clint, I was gonna say Clint Bishop. Wow, uh, Clint Barton, Hawkeye, and I think it's also Kate Bishop and America Chavez. So it's definitely more of a hero team. Uh, but traditionally, Thunderbolts are more of the um, morally questionable characters. I guess you could say. This next announcement deals with Doctor Who, and this was a really funny one because this casting was announced on this actor's birthday, I believe, and it was also something that began leaking images of this actor i think i want to say the day that it was announced of course if you haven't heard this is neil patrick harris who we're talking about yes neil patrick harris has been cast in doctor who to play quote the greatest enemy the doctor has ever faced it is currently filming scenes that are set to air next year what is additionally exciting about this though is it involves David Tennant's doctor, um, who I know is a big fan favorite. He's one of my favorites, of course. Classic, lovely, wonderful David Tennant's doctor. Um, however, it is, um, 
It is all being done for the show's 60th anniversary. And to add to that, not only is David Tennant coming back, Catherine Tate is also returning. Tate played Donna, who is my personal favorite companion, I probably of all Doctor Who I've ever seen, um, for many reasons. Uh, but she's awesome, and I'm really excited to see that she is returning as Donna Noble for the 60th. Um, some stuff that we, I mean, I mean, I don't think there's anything really that is like firmly set in what's happening for the 60th here. Um, one thing that was leaked though, uh, I don't know, leaked or shown was, um, apparent paparazzi, I guess, images of, uh, Neil Patrick Harris dressed in suit and tails, dancing ballroom style in the middle of a street in what appears to be somewhere in England, I'm sure with David Tennant's doctor. Um, not a clue, absolutely no clue what that could be about. I assume it had to be involved with filming and they weren't just like, you know, messing around between takes. Whatever it is, ridiculously exciting. Um, I, I really enjoy Doctor Who for the most part. <laughs> There's some parts that I didn't really like as much, uh, but in general, very fun stuff. And Neil Patrick Harris being added to Doctor Who is, oh gosh, a much better American actor and a, probably a much better role than having just put some big American actor in the, the role of the Doctor to try and make it MCU style like they were saying they were a few months ago. Woo, that was scary but that's all not true and it looks like what we are getting for the 60th and beyond is going to be pretty exciting now the joker 2 is is that correct um i think it's just joker 2 not the joker 2 um so the sequel to the joker movie uh with uh you know We've got Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker and Todd Phillips is the director, right? Um, they announced the sequel. <laughs> uh, not only did we, we had, there were two bits of horrifying news in my opinion. One was they have cast Lady Gaga as fucking Harley Quinn. And point number two, they um, are making it a musical. Um, and now the theories on this is that something about Scorsese, when he became big, he put out this one movie and then he put out a musical and it was like, hit, it hit and it hit and it hit like in perfect order. I, if that's what he's trying to do here, Todd Phillips, it's not working. This is not, no. Um, and there's so, <laughs> there's, there's so many morally questionable things about this decision. Uh, legitimately, because as we know, they have violence in America. Um, but there is a legitimate issue in the world with particularly men striking out violently when they are told no or when they are rejected. Um, that is what a lot of the joke, the first Joker movie was. And it was glorifying him and people ended up saying, oh, it's our, it's our mantra because it's it's seeing us from the light that we see our very not no what no please stop <laughs> that's not a good thing um and now they're making it into a musical and casting pop star lady gaga the whole thing is honestly rather sickening to me if i'm being honest um the, uh, whatever direction really they decide to take this 
on her character, um, they're probably going to take uh, uh, the character of Harley Quinn back a couple of decades. Um, you know, if if they have Lady Gaga fawning over Joaquin Phoenix as a Joker in this movie, uh, really? I, that's not a relationship that should be glorified in any way. And if you're trying to argue that, oh, we're portraying it as well, literally comics the past 30 years, okay? Is that not enough? Um, and is that not, like, it's been so done, and I just feel like this whole thing is just a bit disgusting, honestly. But we had to talk about it because it did appear in the news, and, you know, not everything that happens in pop culture regarding the comic book industry and characters and whatnot not all of it is positive unfortunately and not all the people involved are positive people or morally good people so we take what we can and we leave the rest some more bits of news um there is a new game of thrones show that was announced yes this is the kit harrington starring Jon snow spinoff that i said that backwards huh Jon snow spinoff starring kit harrington <laughs> that is a lot better i have a quote from the hollywood reporter here they say the development signals an intriguing new direction in hbo's handling of game of thrones a move not unlike disney plus's management of its star wars and marvel brands where the streamer has found success launching character-focused sequel series. In theory, the Jon Snow project could open the door for other characters, other surviving characters from the Game of Thrones universe to reappear, such as Arya Stark, Sansa Stark, and Brienne of Tarth. Um, and also, this Jon Snow development news means that there are now seven Game of Thrones projects in the works in addition to the upcoming House of the Dragon prequel series, which again debuts on the 21st of August. My thoughts on this news, <laughs> this is ridiculous and unnecessary entirely, um, especially with the way that they kind of ended Game of Thrones. <laughs> I don't think anybody cares to see Jon Snow on the wall anymore. We've been there, we've done that. Um, where else could this possibly go? I don't know. Uh, it, it does feel a little bit like rubbing salt in the wound also, <laughs> which if you've been the, through the journey of watching the various seasons of Game of Thrones, I feel like you should definitely understand that. Um, and in, in the terms of, um, in regards to them saying that this is a move I agree. It is not unlike Disney Plus's, you know, management of Star Wars and Marvel brands. That is correct. The thing is, was anybody ever asking for more Game of Thrones content once that show ended? The answer is pretty hardcore no. I think they kind of screwed the fans over so bad that anything Game of Thrones that's ever going to come out again is going to be taken extremely, extremely tentatively. Um, or, um, cautiously is a better word there. So the fact that they're putting so many eggs into this Game of Thrones basket, I don't really know if that's a good idea. Um, we'll have to kind of wait and see once the, um, House of the Dragon, is it, comes out on the 21st of August. That's not too far away now. If that ends up being a hit, then this will probably pan out well for them. Um... But again, the specificness of it being a Jon Snow spinoff. Also, how much money did they pay Kit Harington to get him to step away from Marvel for a little bit? Probably more than 
I think we'll ever see in our lives. <laughs> Nihilism. Other news. Uh, there was announced this week a Wonder Man show is going to be created for Disney+. Plus. Now, this one... Uh, unlike the uh, the Thunderbolts news, this one actually is something we know a little bit about. Well, not it's not actually quite true. We have about the same information about. But this one actually, uh, I feel like we have a bit more solid of a picture of what it'll be. There we go. Um, but it'll be a Wonder Man show, no doubt, on Disney+. Plus. The reason that I feel like we have a bit of a look at what this is going to be is because the showrunner is not only the director from Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, it is also the head writer from Brooklyn Nine-Nine as well as Community. So... <laughs> This is a person who already has connections into the Marvel Universe and understands how it works. In addition, this is a person who gets characters, who gets dry humor, and who gets uh, comedic timing very well. Add that all into what you could imagine might come from a Wonder Man show, and you get a pretty good picture of what we're going to get here. Um, people have been speculating, possibly... Nathan Fillion's involvement, which I have to speculate myself as well, 100% he's going to be in this in some format. If nothing else, then some kind of hilarious little cameo, even if it's just a voice cameo. Um, the possibility, though, of him actually playing Wonder Man, honestly, I would give that maybe like a 30-70, like a like a 30% chance that he's actually going to play Wonder Man. Reason being, um, he is the fan favorite casting. I'm not sure how it started, to be honest. Um, I I don't I just remember for the longest time. You know you know what it could be. Um, it could be the Doctor Horrible show, right, with Neil Patrick Harris. We talked about him a minute ago. It could be um, which, by the way, just for a second, people are joking that uh the the greatest villain ever that the doctor the doctor is going to face a, a, as neil patrick harris is going to be doctor horrible that would be funny anyway um i i guess the nathan fillion fan casting as wonder man probably comes from the doctor Hor horrible sing-along blog which if you haven't heard of definitely look that up classic internet shenanigans um starring neil patrick harris nathan fillion and felicia day fantastic stuff completely ridiculous and stupendous so i'm it could be uh, nathan fillion played a superhero character who was extremely cliche um uh like a just a big-headed superhero guy who was actually an idiot you know <laughs> so it's possible that's where the wonder man fan cast of him originated I couldn't be sure. I'd have to look that up, actually. We're still spitting off the hip here, folks. Um, but also, there's two other points that would kind of drive them towards casting him, and that is first, James Gunn had Nathan Fillion in a poster as the actor who is Wonder Man, his whatever his real name is, um, in the 616. And that was a poster that I think it was actually cut from Guardians, but it was supposed to be in Guardians of the Galaxy. Additionally, we have more here. Um, Nathan Fillion also voiced Wonder Man in the MODOK Hulu series, which came out, I don't know, last year, um, and was 
it had its, it was good and it was kind of eh, at times, but mostly good. I don't think we ever finished it actually. Um, but he did voice Wonder Man there, and that when that was announced, people were like, "Oh, it's because of the whole fan casting, and he's the fan favorite pick." It's starting to look like he might have a chance. At the very least, he could be, you know, as I said, just a fun cameo. Venom 3, we know the script is in the works. Uh, I believe that was Tom Hardy who made that announcement. Also, we know the Penguin TV series began filming, I believe, last week. Um, and that is the one that is going to be starring Matt Reeves' The Batman's Colin Farrell as the Penguin. Uh, so if you're excited for that, then awesome. It is officially filming. Additionally, uh, we have Avatar news. I know that we had kind of mentioned before that Avatar was, there was going to be some new stuff coming from that in the coming years. And here we have the announcement. Uh, there are going to be three animated Avatar, <laughs> animated Avatar films in development at Paramount and Nickelodeon. They're going to focus on three different characters across what we have already seen from the animated material. The first movie is going to be about Avatar Kyoshi. She is the Earth Bender. If you remember from the original show, Avatar Kyoshi, that movie is coming out in 2024, so two years. The next year, in 2025, we are getting a movie about Lord Zuko, Prince Zuko, King Zuko, who knows what it's going to be, but it's Zuko. Um, and he is obviously a firebender. And then for the waterbender, we are getting a story, a, a movie in 2026 about, of course, Avatar Korra. Um, uh, and that's really all that we have about that, actually. Uh, but in any case, that covers Earth, <laughs> Earth, uh, fire, and water. I imagine they do this because uh, the last airbender series obviously covered Aang and the airbending in pretty good depth, um, is my guess. So really excited to see the kind of lore, I suppose you would say that they come up with for especially the Kiyoshi one. I gotta say, that's probably the one I'm most excited for because she has been a really cool character who they have kind of trickled throughout the various materials. Um, and I I think that she, and I believe, was she not the avatar before Aang? Um, in any case, whether she was or she wasn't, um, she's been a cool character who they have like touched on and I'm very excited to see her presumably very thoroughly fleshed out in her own movie. Um, presumably also these are going to be feature length movies, not like hour long animated flicks. Um, but I, you can't really say for sure right now. Getting into the last of the news, um, something that's a little less on topic is the Hercules movie. Uh, the director of the live-action Aladdin movie, Guy Ritchie, is teaming back up with Disney for a live-action Hercules. <laughs> this is not the, the live-action remake news that I wanted this week, because on Twitter there was, um, I mean, I, I genuinely don't care that much. The Aladdin movie was genuinely not good, um, and I am the person who is most likely to defend live-action remakes of things because let people enjoy things is usually that movie was not good <laughs> genuinely not good and i feel really bad for the actors who are in it because i recently read that they 
are having trouble with their careers because that movie was so not good. It's not really their fault. That's 100% the studio's fault. The costume design of that movie looked like they had less budget than the once upon a time ABC TV drama did when they did Aladdin. So that's not great. But the reason that I, I, I did kind of want some kind of live action Disney news this week was because uh, Twitter was all a flurry when somebody posted about, you know, Tom Holland and Zendaya are dating, right? What if they, uh, they were cast as the main characters in a live action Atlantis Lost Empire remake? backstory being I am obsessed with that movie okay it's like Atlantis Anastasia and like two or three other movies from my childhood that like I will never ever let go of in my heart um so, and and uh so Kita uh, being played by Zendaya would be obviously excellent and then whatever the dude is as being played by Tom Holland oh my gosh that was the Disney live action news that I had my fingers crossed for this week. Literally no reason to expect it to come, but Twitter had the idea and I can't stop thinking about it. But in any case, there there is a live action Guy Ritchie Hercules coming. It's probably going to suck, but hopefully not as bad as Aladdin did. The final little bit of news on this overextended news segment that I'm seeing has gone 40 minutes almost now. Um... Kevin Feige has some statements about the MCU. He did an interview with, as far as I could tell, it was just with Total Film, and it kind of took over all of the internet in a flurry um, because he had a little bit of statement about fans learning more about Marvel's next big saga in the coming months. And here's what he said. He said... As we're nearing the end of phase four, I think people will start to see where this saga is going, or this next saga is going. I think there have been many clues already that there are at least apparent to me of where this whole saga is going. Well, he just repeated himself. But we'll be, a l we'll be a little more direct about that in the coming months to set a plan so audiences who want to see the bigger picture can see a tiny, tiny, tiny bit more of the roadmap." End quote. Um, of course, people are all taking from this GD23 is happening in September on the 9th, 10th, and 11th. That is definitely included in the statement in the coming months. So many people are speculating that we're going to be getting um, some kind of announcement, be it Secret Wars or be it something about mutants in uh at d23 this year of course the secret wars there are two oh gosh there's three different versions that you could take from there um the most popular one that fans want to see i think most in the comics and myself as well or sorry most in the mcu from the comics and myself as well is definitely the most modern one by jonathan hickman from 2015 where you had Battle World, which is uh, basically um, tons of different kind of multiverses, I guess you would say, um, that all end up crashing together into one big mishmash planet full of different zones. And the different zones all are like, like I talked about in the Madeline Pryor podcast, Madeline Pryor had Inferno there. Um, and so that was w where she basically, um, teamed up with magic is a whole complicated thing, but, um, and then there was like, uh, there was the Thor guard, right? 
And so you had all these different versions of Thor and different characters. And so each zone basically had its own reality in the tiny little zone. And so you have all these repeats of characters. You had the A-Force in Arcadia, um, which by the way is why it's called A-Force. It's not Alpha anything. Um, Alpha Flight is completely different. <laughs> but Secret Wars is uh, kind of the main thing people are guessing this is going to go towards, especially based on the multiversal stuff that's been trickled throughout the past couple of years. Now the concern that a lot of fans have, and I can understand this, is because um, the, I guess you would say, driving force behind the 2015 Secret Wars is Victor Von Doom, Doctor Doom, um, and, you know, ruler of Latveria, enemy of the Fantastic Four, god, frenemy really these days, um, complicated stuff. He has not at all been seen in the MCU period, not been hinted at in any way particularly, um, and so people are thinking, well, if you're gonna do Secret Wars, you have to have Doom, if you do it without Doom, or I mean, if you do it with Doom as we've seen things now, well then you're just not going to have a very fleshed out character. And I can definitely see where they're coming from with that. Um, but there's, you know, there's always ways that they could make things work aside from however we saw it happen in the comics. Um, another thing that people are speculating that Kevin Feige is kind of leaning towards here for the phase four or the phase five, I guess, stuff, this next big arc of the saga, um, would be including mutants. Um, it's a little bit more unsure as to how they would include that. My personal theory would be, um, by the end of the next couple of weeks that they're going to reveal Kamala, uh, in Ms. Marvel is actually a mutant. Um, and that she will be the way to bring those in because obviously the Inhumans, they tried to add those in a couple of years ago and that did not work out. <laughs> that was a pretty bad one. Um, so they're kind of moved beyond Inhumans and they're just going to go straight to mutants, it looks like. So seeing as she can't really do the Terrigen Mists and the Inhuman stuff, um, obviously there's a direction they're going, it looks like, in the show, which we'll talk about when we get to the show segment here in a little bit. Um, but it's still possible that they might reveal that she is some kind of mutant. Who knows? Um, but in any case, those are the two main theories that people are seeing. Um, Kang is obviously going to be a big piece, no matter which direction they go into, um, unless for whatever reason they've been teasing him for no particular reason, which is not really the way they do things. But Kevin Feige making a career off of teasing people yet again in 2022. For the comic book picks, we have a number of things that I have finally caught up on, um, and we're going to cover comics that came out. Let me check my dates here. The weeks of Wednesday the 8th and the week of Wednesday the 15th. This week's comics, which came out on this past Wednesday the 22nd, will be discussed on the regular Monday episode, episode 69. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help it. Okay, so we're going to cover Dark Crisis, Aquaman, Andromeda, Poison Ivy, Multiversity, Teen Justice, DC Pride 2022, and then from the next week we have the DC Pride Tim Drake special, Iron Man number 20, Seven Sons number one, which is far and above my number one pick from the fucking, maybe this whole year, sorry, that's amazing. Uh, Hulkling and Wiccan number one, Grimm number two, and Immortal Red Sonia number three. Starting off at the top of the list with Dark Christ, and these are in no particular order, just FYI. It's the order that I read them in, if anything. 
Dark Crisis number one is of seven from DC Comics. This is, of course, their new crisis event of which they said they were never going to do again. But, you know, things happen, I guess. Uh, in this issue, I actually really enjoyed this pretty much across the board. Um, it looks like the Justice League, I mean, they're obviously not dead. They were never going to be dead. Not truly and not permanently, at least. Um, it seems that they have been taken and are being held in some kind of torture bubble thing. Um, and whoever it is that has taken them is planning on taking more heroes now. Which, if I'm not mistaken, is what's happened in... The Young Justice series? I'm not sure. We'll find out, I guess. Uh, John Kent is trying to set up a new Justice League, but he can only really get scrap members, basically. And then Black Adam shows up and kind of just shoots the whole plan down in two seconds flat, so ends up not really being a thing. And finally, Deathstroke is out to take out all of the Titans because he hates them and always has and always will. Uh, and it starts by shooting Garfield Logan in the head, Beast Boy, apparently, uh, has been shot in the head. Well, not sure. Again, deaths don't stick too often in comic books, so um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Fingers crossed for Garfield Logan, I suppose. Oh my god, it rhymed. Aquaman Andromeda, number one of three, is by Ram V and Christian Ward, who is a fantastic artist, and he really hits the mark in this one. You can hear that was my kitten meowing. He's awake. <laughs> The team on this issue is, is a science team going on an exploratory mission into the undersea, what they call Spaceship Graveyard, which is at Point Nemo, which is um, the furthest place from land uh, in the ocean, and also is closer to the space station than it is to land, which actually isn't actually as far as it sounds. Um, but it is extremely far from land. It's the furthest place on Earth that's in water that's farthest from land. I hope that made, I hope that made sense. So they go to the spaceship graveyard, is what Point Nemo is called. Uh, it, it's called that because that's where they drop all the space shuttles and things, then retire them to the sea, basically. Um, they basically learn here that the mission that they're on is actually about an apparent extraterrestrial vessel that they are the ones who are going to make first contact with. Um, after learning all of this, many of them go back to the support ship that's on the surface because they're in the undersea submarine. Uh, but unfortunately, the support ship is then attacked by an actual kraken <laughs> uh, after the alien ship that's under the water kind of wakes up and sends out like a scan blast of sorts, causing general technological and whatnot disrupt disruptions. Um, Aquaman is there and he's able to help the survivors, but the science team is directed to move forward as if nothing happened, um, risking themselves probably even more. Poison Ivy number one came this couple of weeks ago by G. Willow Wilson and Marcio Takara on art. Really, really liked it. Um, there's a couple of things that are a little bit unsure of. Um, apparently, one, Ivy is not connected to the green anymore. Um, she is still green herself. Um, and she constantly seems to like hold back that skin tone so she can blend in with humans. 
Um, but she's apparently not connected. I don't really understand how that works, especially since she was brought back by the green in Heroes of Crisis. Also, apparently she lost, she's saying she lost a part of her power in the fusing of the Queen Ivy with the missing piece of Ivy, which in my sense makes no, my opinion makes no sense. <laughs> um, I, the only thing that I can really get out of that is that they mean that she lost her rage and that's what they mean by that. Um, but then again, I keep thinking like, well, she is not connected to the green, so she must be speaking her literal power. But again, that makes no sense how she could become less by returning to what she was when she was already top of the food chain. Basically. I, I, I don't know. Um, but basically what she's doing here is she's spreading uh, that life-eating fungus that was in the Gotham Villains special. She's spreading that out to make uh, take out humanity and various other invasive species, including cattle, which is pretty odd for her, honestly. Um, but generally, she's still on the villain track. Um, she's a little bit torn up about Harley Quinn, so it's, it's a good start. Art is fantastic, what can I say? Multiversity Teen Justice number one of five, I actually really enjoyed. Um, going through the characters a little bit, um, I, I, won't, I won't cover what actually is kind of happening in the issue. I will say that um, Raven is not a team member, uh, but he shows up anyway. So we start at the top of the list that I made here. Robin, female, name is Talia, love it. Daughter, apparently, of Batwoman. Aqua Girl is the leader of Teen Justice. Uh, Clarion is the witch girl. She does not like science. Uh, and her the way that she talks about it is awesome. I loved it. Kid Quick, we already know Jesse Quick likes to show off. Uh, Supergirl looks decidedly Asian in some panels, which I wonder about because they weren't before. <laughs> she wasn't before. Uh, Troy is basically Wonder Girl, Troya, whatever you want to call her, but as a boy. And they are trying to date, I believe, Raven, who, as I said, is not a member of the team, but has some strange mystery, knows something about what's going on, and also is very wary of these other team members for some reason. Um, and then we have the, uh, the villains of this. Uh, we have Sinestra, who is Sister Blood, and she is working with Kilowog, who is evil. <laughs> DC Pride 2022 was actually a pretty cute story with a pretty cute series of stories. Um, uh, let's see. First one, you have John takes Damien Wayne to Pride. Um, and Damien came with all kinds of weapons because, you know, the first Pride was a riot. And so he says, you can't go to a riot without a gas mask, John. And he has to explain. And it's not how we do it anymore. Um, Nubia joins Babes of the Body Slam charity competition with Big Barda. And then you have a flashback, which is colored and drawn like uh, 80s and 90s comics, while the modern pages are uh, done like modern, obviously. Art is by Megan Hetrick in this section, and she did a fantastic job. I love Big Barda. Uh, you have the character of Hawk, who writes a letter to his mom coming out as asexual, and that is going to be continued in Robin number 15. 
Elysia, uh, who I'm not sure actually who that is, but she takes care of uh, Babs, you know, Batgirl, during an attack from Killer Moth. Apparently she is a trans hero now. Jackson Hyde addresses a statue of his grandfather, meets his boyfriend's family, and takes his boyfriend back to his New Mexico hometown. Joel, Mule- this was my favorite story. Joel Mullen is back in the city enduring as Gumshoe Joe. She is targeted by a Ketopoli alien couple who tried to trick her into being their basically third <laughs> before eating her. Uh, the color is added at the end. The whole thing is in black and white uh, and green, I guess. And then the color is added at the end when she reunites with Susan, her girlfriend. Uh, next story is Ray and his Ray and his boyfriend on the Justice League of America. Uh, they both need to adjust to one another's tastes. You have Colonel Kane reflecting on fatherhood, uh, and apparently they are retconning his homophobia because I had thought that that was a horrible part of their relationship, and now they're saying it's not. So okay. Then we have Tim Drake fighting to take a cake to his boyfriend to celebrate his boyfriend's first pride. Then we have a flashback story of Harley and Ivy play fighting, which was, I mean, it was kinky, to be honest. Um, I don't know what the outfit that Ivy is wearing in this, but I love it. Uh, And then false versions of each other appear in front of one another, and they realize the fake ones and fight those and make it back to each other and it's wow super cute i love it the last story in this issue was kid quick at pride their aunt is flash jesse quick i guess um and then they encounter shimmer who is a male hero with a boob window and that was fantastic apparently he's part of the fearsome five Moving on to comics that were released the week of the 15th, 14th and 15th, uh, DC Pride, Tim Drake special number one. This was a couple of different stories. Um, I can't say I'm the biggest or most knowledgeable fan of Tim Drake. Um, I respect his character. I see where his part is in the DC universe and how he's important there. Um, other than that, I, I don't. I don't particularly care too much about his character. He's not my favorite. Um, nothing against him. He's just not one that I have latched onto at all. Um, but in this issue, he is going through some stuff. He goes on a dinner date with an old friend, but it is Gotham. So of course the friend ends up getting kidnapped. Um, this first story is going to be continued in Batman Urban Legends number 10. Then he has a heart-to-heart with Batman about the city of Gotham in the second story and deals with other Teen Titans as well as the Batgirls in the third. Iron Man number 20 by Christopher Cantwell continues to be great. In this issue, we knew Tony was going to propose to Patsy and I knew she was going to say no and I was freaking right. Uh, This is now three months after the events of the last issue where Tony kills everybody he knows and loves and then goes... Well, and then resurrects them and then gives up his power and then goes to rehab. So it's been three months. Patsy is back to pick up Tony from rehab. She reports that the space friends who he slaughtered and then brought back because he had to uh, are a fantasy baseball league team now. And so Patsy decides to take him to a sports bar to watch a Mets game to kind of get everything to feel a bit more normal after this whole, whole ordeal. And Tony 
Tony proposes in a damn letter while they're watching baseball at the bar and trying to have a nice time. <laughs> it is the most uncomfortable thing. And so she's obviously like is extremely wary from the get-go about this whole proposal. And she's like, you know, Tony, last time I got married, it was the son of Satan. And he, he literally says, yeah, I know. And it was really rough. She says, and I died. Yeah, Tony, she died. What do you mean? It was, I know it was really rough. She died, Tony. It wasn't just rough. It was it. That was it. But that says everything you need to know about Tony, you know, after everything even that she's talked to him about throughout the series, you know, she's still selfish to literally no end. Uh, and so, of course, Patsy's a nice person and doesn't just say no on the spot. She says she needs some time to think about it. Uh, obviously, she's going to say no because she's not crazy. <laughs> um, she thinks to herself, do I just love trying to fix him? No, he doesn't need fixing. He needs me. What do I need? And boom goes the dynamite. That is that is the thing that will that will answer her the proposal for her. She does think that she loves him more than she ever did with Damon and Buzz, but she does end up going back to his place with that letter later and tells him that she can't right now. Hell yeah! Suck it, Tony Stark. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Seven Sons. Now, I genuinely don't know how to cover this in a way that will express how good it was. <laughs> um, so, oh, it was just, it was fantastic. Um, the, the plot is seven genetically identical sons were born from seven virgins on seven continents. That will happen 21 years ago. Over the course of those 21 years, six were killed by religious extremists. Now on their 21st birthday, the true son of God will make himself, is supposed to be making himself known. Um, the first baby was killed only months after their birth when all of the virgin mothers were also slaughtered and the most recent one who was killed um, was just I think a few months ago as well. However, there is one that was killed three years ago and today on their 21st birthday he rises from the dead. Um, it doesn't sound that interesting the way I said it, but the way that they pull out the storytelling, the way that the art is, and good lord, Jay Lee on interior art, you can taste the passion. It is, speaking of the passion, uh, if you get Mel Gibson in his passion era, M. Night Shyamalan, hmm, him, I forgot how to say his last name, it's been a long time. Um, and like Dan Brown of like the Inferno books and stuff, they might, they might be able to touch on how freaking cool this like fictional take on Christianity and religious stuff is. Might be able to get close to it. Um, definitely I'm like 11 out of 10 with this. I loved it. I was raised Catholic, so I'm very familiar with all of the stories and all of the um, traditions and things. It's just, oh, I think it is so cool. Seven Sons. Definitely check that one out. On the opposite end of the spectrum, still good, but just 
happy. <laughs> Hulkling and Wiccan number one. Um, I knew I was going to like this issue when you have the two of them gathering a group of super gays, basically, by having Wiccan chant, because that's how he does his magic easy chants. Let's have a kiki, <laughs> which a kiki is like a, um, it's something that's taken from um, black queer audiences. Uh, it's basically like a sit down and gossip dinner and with drinks kind of thing. <laughs> and they do, it's fun. They, they talk a lot. It's um, North Star and his husband, Kyle, and then Bobby Drake. I think it's just the three of them. Bobby Drake, is that his name? Iceman? Yeah, Bobby Drake. Why does that not sound right in my head? Hmm, I don't know. Um, but it's them and they, they have a nice thing. Uh, the reason that we get the story that comes after that is because, of course, they discuss how, oh, you two are so young, you're so lucky, you don't have to mess with a dating pool, and, you know, blah, 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 you got together really young and found the one, and etc. congratulations, you're lucky. Um, and so then Agatha Harkness plants a Game Boy, basically, to uh, trap Billy to teach him a lesson, basically, as a, quote, wedding present. Uh, because she had taught his mother more or less in magic and is uh, bitter that she was not invited to his wedding. So she puts the game there and um, the game puts them with lovers who are kind of like foils of their real husbands. Uh, like Hulkling is the, the, the buff guy in the relationship, right? She puts him with somebody who is like, who makes him look like a twink, right? And you get Wiccan who is the skinny little guy and he gets himself a skinny little guy. Um, instead of his buff husband that he has, you know, in the comics. So, um, so she puts them with these foils of their real relationship and they have to basically rediscover one another and the truth of whatever reality is. And yes, it is, it was pretty cool actually. And it is leading into ongoing stories where we're going to have, I believe it is Hulkling's, um, alternate reality lover will be showing up uh, in their reality and they're going to have to deal with that. So for whatever reason, they're putting it in the online infinity comics. Um, it's not going to be out as real comics for probably a good while. Unfortunately, um, I don't like online comics like that, but apparently there's a big market for it. So hopefully they made the right decision in putting this as an infinity series and not a print series. So we'll see. Grim number two by Stephanie Phillips was awesome. You get great art, you get great story buildup, you get um, a fun mystery, and you get more classic rock references, which I'm not going to list them all out this time. You can go read it yourself and see them all, because remember, Eddie Van Halen is one of the main characters in this, and he's a Grim Reaper. <laughs> it's awesome, okay? So in this issue, remember we ended the first issue with her... Um, her a grim reaper being seen by the living so she now in the second issue she and everybody that she was out with they get back to their realm of the dead or whatever and when she meets with adira their boss all adira says is that she's going to look into it it being the whole a just is the only reaper who doesn't remember her death and b just as the only Reaper who has now been seen by the living. Those things have to be connected in her mind, and Adira, who clearly knows something about it, is just trying to kind of, like, write it off. 
the only way for Jess to get to her death record is by going to actual deaths chambers of records and finding it herself, which she just managed to do so even though they took away her scythe, but she has friends and that's what friends are for. But what she appears to see seems to be herself dying in childbirth, but the recording is interrupted and Adira finds her and stops her. So we're not quite sure still yet. Notable though, that the issue does start with what appears to be a Dia de los Muertos celebration being massacred by a ghoul who might be death because then it ends with that ghoul walking across the river Styx back to hell. So, and they're, they're walking across it. They're like being lifted by the corpses of the damned. Like it's very spooky. Um, I'm pretty sure there must be death. The final comic on the semi-extended uh, what is this pick list is Immortal Red Sonia number three. I will say that this issue felt like it stumbled a little bit and was a touch filler, um, but my issues come more with the art. Um, the artist switches halfway through to a completely different artist, which is very off-putting uh, because even the creature that she's fighting at the time in the panels drastically changes from page one to page, you know, from page to page. Like the two artists never actually communicated on what they were meant to be drawing aside from big green beasts with horns, because that's all they had in common. Their faces were entirely different. One had eyes and one didn't. One had a skull for a face and one was like a troll. Like clearly they were different designs, but it was supposed to be the same thing. It was a little bit crazy. In any case, the content of the issue was pretty much just Sonia reaching Merlin's tower and he's not there, but they come to the conclusion that he is alive and out there somewhere, so they're gonna have to go find him. Again, fine enough issue. The art really was annoying to me, um, as well as the con the continuity with her pants. In the last issue, she was drawn to have shorts, but colored to have long pants on. In this issue, she was drawn to have shorts and has shorts. So if they could just get the art team to be on the same page, this would probably be 100% better. And I like it as it is, but it's just, the art is very frustrating. Real quick, we'll go over what was on my pull list this week. Uh, we had the Illusion Witch number one from Behemoth Comics, Samurai Sonia number one from Dynamite, Nook number one of three from Source Point Press, Beware the Eye of Odin number one from Image Comics, Marvel's Voices Pride from, of course, Marvel. This has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different stories from various LGBTQ plus creators. Then Miles Morales and Moon Girl number one which is a one-shot, Black Adam, number one by Christopher Priest from DC Comics, Dark Crisis Young Justice, number one of six, Bloodstained Teeth, number three from Christian Ward and Patrick Reynolds by, or by them from Image Comics, Immortal X-Men, number three by Kieran Gillen and Lucas Wernick from Marvel, Homesick Pilots, number 15, which is the final issue of the series from Image Comics by Dan Waters and Kaspar Wingard, New Mutants number 26 by Vita Ayala and Rod Reese from Marvel, and Catwoman number 44 by Teeny Howard and Bengal from DC Comics. 
As I said in the beginning, we are mostly going to be covering just Young Justice, which is the finale episode, and Ms. Marvel. I'll be covering the wrap-up of the last few episodes of Kenobi and Strange New Worlds, what I've missed on Monday's episode, 69, wink, wink. <laughs> Sorry. So Young Justice episode, I believe this was 26, titled Death and Rebirth. We pick up pretty much right where we left off. Turns out Nightwing faked his death at the fortress and comes across the bioship wreckage, which is revealed to be fake as well, thanks to Ms. Martian. The two of them go over the events of the last episode, covering how Rocket didn't make it back with the rest of Zatanna's team. Meanwhile, Baby, who is the bioship child, I guess, picks up the rest of them so the mother bioship can heal. In Metropolis, Connor is again commanded to kill Clark. He thinks back to the time to his time with Clark and being a part of his family, and he can't do it. Now Zod will kill them both, and a battle among the two groups ensues, including Zaytana and her gang, plus Wally and his. This includes Zaytana and her gang, plus Wally and his. Um, it looks like McGann is heading to take off the Zods, and Malal Fa'ak gets the box boy, the um, Kaiser Thrall, to open a portal back to the Phantom Zone again to get their army. Um, the first two come through, but they are interrupted by the good guys. Zaytana traps the Martian, and Aqualad saves the box boy, ending the boom tube. The heroes do begin to stumble, impacted by Connor knocking Calder from away from getting hit. Sorry, knocking Calder away from hitting General Zod. Then Megan arrives and is able to remind Connor who he is. Now t teamed with Superman, he and Kalil face off with the Zods. Megan is taken out by the Emperor. Empress, who is wife Zod, who is stupid enough to think that this is all real and is absolutely destroyed mentally by, by Megan instead. Megan then helps the mother box boy and Saturn girl take out Ma'alafa'ak, leaving the box boy to open another boom tube to the Phantom Zone in time for Nightwing and Artemis to push the backup Kryptonians back to their prison. Rocket is the one to take out the last one, appearing just in time in a time capsule thing, uh, the one that Lore was using earlier in the season. Ma'ala Fa'ak is also booted to the zone, in part by his own sister, and rightfully so. That just leaves the male Zods and the depowered Mrs. Zod. Uh, they say this whole thing never mess with the L's, which was honestly pretty lame, uh, but they get the job done in the fight and exile them again. Mrs. Zod is kidnapped by her own Emerald Eye, and Lore takes off with the time capsule that Rocket arrived in. And oh look, literally all the heroes arrive as the baddies are gone. So useless, as always. Later, uh, we have Gar is still taking time off from hero work. The Kents tell John about Connor being alive. Um, Connor and Megan are getting married. At last, the ceremony is at Happy Harbor. While the guests gather, Black Canary addresses the leaguers about how things have been going down, specifically the trauma they've all experienced. She says they need a place where one of them can go to decompress from all of this madness and... I think they're doing Heroes in Crisis next season. She even calls it a Sanctuary, capital S, which is what they call it in the Tom King series. Heroes in Crisis is basically 
exactly that. It is where there is a sanctuary that is created in the middle of nowhere um, that is completely off the books, off record, um, and any hero or villain can go there in an anonymity and basically have therapy in whatever way suits them uh, for everything that they have seen and experienced. So uh, that is basically Heroes in Crisis in extremely short. Um, of course, stuff goes wrong and a bunch of them die, yada, yada, yada. Um, but that is pretty much how Heroes in Crisis goes. So that's coming next, or at least some form of that. Uh, the princess of Latveria, or whatever, I know it's not Latveria, whatever the place is, she talks to Gar, saying that she has moved on and that he should as well. The Kryptonians in the Phantom Zone are briefly mentioned and how they have all served their sentences and then some. But the Legion members, who, by the way, are apparently now stranded here due to the time sphere being taken by Lor Zod, they don't think it's a good idea. Trombus, the red sun planet from the previous episodes, is brought up and they all agree that they shall be freed unto that planet under the watchful eyes of the League, Lanterns, and the New Gods. After the wedding, they will go back and get them. But they won't find them because they're all being held in stasis by Vandal Savage. Apparently, they offered Clarion the opportunity to hunt all of these Kryptonians down, and he was delighted to do so for them. It's also mentioned that Apocalypse required one Kryptonian as well, plus the return of Ma'alafa Ak. The entire planet of Apocalypse, Apocalypse boom tubes out of the Phantom Zone after this deal is done. Ma'alafa Ak is given a pristine world for his work with Darkseid, called Durla. Rocket explains to the others back on Earth how she didn't just die in mid-space or whatever it would have been. Her powers somehow saved her, popping her up in Metron's vault, where he gave her his repaired time sphere to go home. It apparently had to do with some experiment he was running, which we then find out exactly what that was. Uh, we, when we catch up with what happens to Lorzod after he takes off with the time sphere... Turns out the controls were locked, taking him to Mars on the day that Superboy was thought to have died. He thinks he's there to truly kill Superboy, but as soon as he exits the sphere, it disappears. And as soon as he grabs for Phantom Girl, she teleports out with Superboy. As soon as he's alone, the bomb goes off, stripping his body down to cells and destroying him entirely. Thank you, Metron. However, then we catch up with Mrs. Zod, who is now out in space with the Emerald Eye. Uh, she is getting back into Empress form, and oops, she's pregnant. <laughs> uh, back at the wedding, guests are still arriving, and Brainiac from the 31st century arrives in a time sphere for his teammates. So they are not stranded anymore. Lots of guests are at the wedding. John Kent is the ring bearer and they are all married. Congratulations. Icicle Jr. catches the bouquet as the dog snooze over the credits. And then you have the end credits scene. Granny Goodness brings two new recruits to Darkseid, Mary Marvel, known as Dark Mary, and the Kryptonian from the zone, Kara Zor-El Supergirl. They will be joining Big Barda as the new team of female furies. And I, for one, think that is totally sick. Um, as I already have mentioned, a huge fan of Big Barda. Um, and the whole concept of evil uh, Kara Zor-El and Dark Mary Marvel is just really cool. My cat's trying to get in my lap. Um, so I really, I, I think the next season, plus if they're doing any kind of touching on Heroes in Crisis, 
I think that is going to rock. I'm very excited for the next season of Young Justice. Now let's talk Ms. Marvel Generation Y. That is the title of episode one, which premiered two Wednesdays ago now. Uh, but we're going to talk, as I keep saying, we're going to talk about episodes one and two of Ms. Marvel and then wrap up this episode uh, of the podcast, that is. And then we will cover episode three of Ms. Marvel as well as the finale of Kenobi and whatever I've missed of uh, Strange New Worlds on Monday when we come out with that regular episode number 69. So, starting with Ms. Marvel, um, it, it kind of starts off with, fine, actually it does start off with the, the, the line, the first line of the show, finally, the moment everyone has been waiting for. Bam! Damn right! Um, I, I really, I just love, and some people say that the certain Star Wars movies start off the same way, saying like, this will be, be be the beginning of fixing things or whatever it was. I feel like this is much more of an arguable, yes, they're putting that in there to talk to the audience. Finally, the moment everyone has been waiting for. Yes, we have. Kamala is, as we have already discussed, into the ground, a big Captain Marvel fangirl, a fan of all the heroes, really, but especially Carol. So it's appropriate that we start her show off with part 10 of 10 of her YouTube series on, you guessed it, Captain Marvel. Obviously, for me personally, this is super relatable because, come on, I am sitting here at my desk talking to dead air on a podcast about comic books and surrounding pop culture. It is literally the same thing that Kamala does, you know, pretty much. Um, you see in her room lots of real-life or real-world Captain Marvel paraphernalia, as well as some older stuff from Ms. Marvel days, which is interesting. Her YouTube channel itself is named Sloth Baby Productions. That's a nod to Kamala's stuffed animal from the first issue of Ms. Marvel, who appears uh, throughout the series in Wings. Kamala's other videos that you might spy on her thing says Ant-Man and the Wasp romantic vacation to Paris, and then an upcoming episode on Thor being secretly a gamer, which as the audience knows is true thanks to Avengers Endgame. And we do know what happened uh, in the battle of in the Endgame battle against Thanos because Scott Lang had his podcast. It's kind of I think it's actually he showed up for several podcast episodes that he did interviews on, called Big Me Little Me. Uh, we also know that the world still doesn't know what Carol is off doing since she left in the '90s, and then again after leaving after Endgame. So to me, this is clearly setting up the roots of some kind of turmoil between the characters in the coming The Marvels movie. We meet Kamala's family right off in the episode, her mother and father and older brother who is engaged, and the family is in the busiest stages of planning and preparing for the wedding. The family is Pakistani Muslim, if you hadn't picked that up, with the parents having immigrated from America to Pakistan uh, when Amir was a baby. They were sure to include plenty of specific language and terminology, especially between the family members, to not only drive home all of these points, but to make it feel like an authentic Muslim-Pakistani-American family. It's a part of the show people were really eager to hate on them not doing very well, and that was well before the show had even come out, so I am very pleased to see that they didn't leave much room for that kind of hate. 
Kamala wants to go to Avengers Con, but due to really awful driving lessons, uh, she won't be able to use the car, the family car, to drive there with Bruno, her best friend. Although her other best friend, Nakia, isn't into that kind of thing. Uh, there's also Zoe, who is the popular girl at school, who used to be carpool buddies with Kamala and her friends, uh, but they don't really get along anymore. Oddly enough, she too is going to Avengers Con, but they don't dare ask her for a ride. Uh, there is a plaque outside of Kamala's high school with a, a bunch of names um, who happen to be names of people who worked on the original Ms. Marvel run, including G. Willow Wilson, the writer and co-creator, uh, Stephen Wacker, editor, Adrian Alfona, artist and original, uh, or yeah, he was an artist on the original run, uh, Jamie McKelvey, who designed, Kamala, designed Kamala's suit as well as the modern Captain Marvel suit, Ian Herring, who is a colorist who's worked on both Ms. and Captain Marvel, and Nico Leone, who came on as an artist for the 50th issue of Ms. Marvel featuring Kamala Khan. Uh, there was another, the other co-creator of Kamala is not listed here because she is actually one of the executive producers of the show. Uh, Sana is her first name. I don't remember what her last name is, but uh, she is also a co-creator. And Avengers Con is ultimately what exa exactly what it sounds like. It's a celebration of various real-world, to them, superheroes. Kamala is planning on joining the Carol Danvers cosplay competition with her own handmade costume. Bruno helped make the sparkly hands parts. Her parents, especially being immigrant parents, are very protective of Kamala and are not willing at first to let her go to the convention, even with lifelong bestie and family friend Bruno. It takes her brother speaking to them on her behalf to convince them, but even then it isn't without stipulations. She has to go with her dad and they'll go dressed as Big and Little Hulk, but done in traditional Pakistani outfits. Uh, it was adorable when he brought it out and the excitement on his face really shows when he shows her what they'll be wearing together as father and daughter. It's palpable, which makes the knife twist even harder when Kamala breaks down and tells him that going like that would be embarrassing. It's absolutely crushing, of course, and so her parents rescind their permission for her to go. One term that they use a lot during the show is Bismala. The translation of that is in the name of God in Arabic, just in case you were wondering. Not to be deterred from going to the convention, Kamala gets Bruno to help her rig up a system to make it look like she is in her room studying and later sleeping. Hopefully this way she can sneak out her bedroom window, meet Bruno, catch a train to the city, and make it to the convention for a relatively short amount of time before needing to do it all again and head back home. It's a pretty crazy plan honestly, backed by Kamala's dreams of fantasy and heroic perfection. Of course, it doesn't go quite as well as planned, but she does make it in time for the costume competition. Her old frenemy, Zoe, is also in the competition in a skin-tight Captain Marvel bikini that almost resembles Carol's own one-time Ms. Marvel outfit. A couple of the things that we uh, see when we are touring Avengers Con. Uh, it does take place at Camp Leahy, which is, of course, the military base where Steven Rogers... Steven... Steve Rogers was chosen for the super serum in the first Avenger movie. We have artwork that is pointing out America's ass, which was the quip that Scott Lang made for uh, Cap in Avengers Endgame. You have a man dressed as Drax selling a book, uh, because a book by Star Lord called the Peter Quill Story, because of course he wrote it. Uh, you have Asgardian Pride shirts. 
Um, and Tessa Thompson notably has said that the Valkyrie is going to find her queen in Thor Love and Thunder. You have a man in Asgardian Ware selling tourism tickets to New Asgard, which is, of course, where all of the um, Asgardians settled after their home was destroyed. Uh, you have a memorial to Black Widow and Iron Man. You have, uh, we hear the Star Spangled Man in the background, which is the song about Captain America. Uh, and then she competes in the contest for cosplays against a football Captain Marvel, Princess Captain Marvel, a Victorian Captain Marvel, a Captain Marvel in a tutu, a race and gender bent Captain Marvel, plus a few more that are uh, not quite as easy to identify. And you also see a fight like a girl Captain Marvel hat, which is a notorious catchphrase for her. Not catchphrase, but like themeology, I guess. One thing that I did forget to mention earlier was the bangle that Kamala adds to her costume. It belonged to her family, to her matriarchal great-grandmother specifically. Kamala's mother refuses to talk about it and doesn't want Kamala to touch the bangle. But when Bruno gives her the idea of needing an it factor in her costume, something to take it above and beyond the others, the bracelet is what she comes up with. It helps that the blue and gold of the design go well with the Captain Marvel homemade costume. So there she is, about to go on stage at Avengers Con with the other contestants, and it's time to put the bangle on. She notes that it seems sealed shut, but gets it open with a small trick. When she puts it on, the bangle immediately responds, latching shut and extending somewhat on her forearm. From there, cosmic blue and purple glowing begins to cover her arm until it ripples across her whole body and lights up her eyes. She falls back through the floor and into a shadow realm place where the crowd around her has glowing eyes and for a moment they look like they might be a gathering of villagers. When she kind of comes to, uh, it turns out nothing has actually happened. Bruno didn't see anything. He's still talking about whatever it was and they move on. On stage, though, Kamala is quickly overwhelmed by the lights and camera flashes and accidentally extends a construct from her hand, shooting across the crowd. People see it this time. She can't give the constructs she can't get the constructs to stop, and one of them knocks over a giant Ant-Man sculpture of his head, and due to a Final Destination style series of events, Kamala ends up having to save pretty much everyone from the chaos, and in the climax, stretches out one long, stretchy, crystallized arm to catch the frenemy Zoe from a big fall. It looks pretty much like it does in the comics, um, extending off of her and is covered with like weird cosmic crystals. As a quote from somebody on Twitter, Worry not, comic book fans. Her fist does, in fact, embiggen. So you can get off your high horses now. Of course, the chaos doesn't end when they leave the con as her parents discover that she was missing almost as soon as she left, and now she's in big trouble for lying to them and sneaking out. Her mom gives her basically the same talk that her guidance counselor did earlier in the week about how it's time to grow up, how it's time to stop fantasizing and work on her real-life future. That night, alone in her room, Kamala stares at her newfound crystalline powers. She isn't going to stop anytime soon. And in the post credit scene, we see the return of Spider-Man No Way Home actor Ariane Moyad reprising the role as Agent P. Cleary for the United States Department of Damage Control, the DODC. 
Uh, some fun details from the episode. Uh, we have Circle K, which is Bruno's corner store that he works at in the comics. You have when Kamala first gets to school and walks down the hall. The song that is playing is by Riz MC, aka Oscar-winning British-Pakistani actor Riz Ahmed, who was also actually in Star Wars. Uh, Marvel New Media VP Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M, was the MC of the Captain Marvel contu- contest costume at AvengerCon. I follow him on Instagram, so I actually recognized him, and that was pretty cool. What a nice little kind of shout out sort of thing to a bone to throw him i guess i don't know uh and finally for the most part the text messages of the series are displayed not on her phone screen for us to see but on the sidewalks and street signs and whatnot so really cool way of them doing that finally we will talk episode two of ms marvel entitled crushed Kamala is feeling herself today. She is standing up for herself, saying hello to people in the hallways, making friends, being jovial, etc. We also run in now to Kamran, a character from the comics who is a brief romantic fleeing for Kamala. Then it turns out that he's inhuman and does not choose to use his powers as nearly as responsibly as she does, so they split in every way possible. Of course, Zoe is trying to take all of the attention for the events at Avengers Con. She even comes up with a name for the hero that she was saved by. Uh, the name is Nightlight, and everybody unanimously agrees that it sucks. <laughs> Zoe is having a party on Friday to celebrate, quote, surviving, <laughs> uh, or whatever, I guess, uh, which does convince Kamala to go to the party as well because a certain Cameron will be joining the party. My cats are fighting not fighting they're playing that's if you hear anything <laughs> i tried to keep them asleep uh this week's goal in the episode figure out the new powers bruno is the most helpful here of course using some kind of tech to uncover the power that comes from her or to cover that the power comes from her not the bangle so yeah i was pretty much right about all of that so go me <laughs> i had that theory so many times uh, Kamala says that the constructs feel like an idea come to life, and we see, we see that the uh, the super strength and everything that's that's not really a part of it. Um, but the embiggening that certainly is. She calls it hard light, which happens to be the term used for the physical holograms of the X Men's Danger Room. So, good to know, I guess. And now it's time to train. Using video game logic, she decides to use her constructs like stepping discs, so to say. She starts off really bad at it, but with practice and with Bruno's help, she eventually puts together that the disc can basically extend from her feet to make it easier than shooting them from her hands. They also note that the bangle has either Arabic or Urdu on it among the designs. This will no doubt influence the detail of her future Ms. Marvel outfit once we see the official version. Uh, as for Arabic and Urdu, the two use very similar alphabets that are mostly the same with a few differences. They can be written in highly stylized calligraphy that can be very hard to read if you're not used to it and you might not necessarily have a ton of practice reading and writing them if you're mostly used to speaking them or saying certain phrases or prayers. So she, her not being sure is not an issue. 
Alongside with her second best friend, Nakia, and her family, Kamala goes to prayer service at their local mosque. We see the girls wash their feet, as is tradition, and the women sit behind a sort of screen behind the men to preserve propriety, so to say. Uh, she even interrupts the service to complain about how the women's side of the mosque is in poor condition compared to the men's, but is ultimately shut down. Nakia, however, knows how to make change and decides to run for the mosque board. At night, at the night of the party arrives and Kamala is there solely for Kamran. He has his moment to show off and then come out of the pool dripping wet and topless with the two Pakistani girls muttering damn in their mother tongue. But cops end up splitting up the party and since Kamran has a car, their group of friends go off with him. The next day, Kamala talks to Nakia about life and how it's changing. They mention her hijab and how she was hoping to shut some people up, she says, with it. Now she knows she doesn't need to prove anything, and this feels like her. Bruno gets early immersion at Caltech, which is great, except it means he's going to go to California across the country. Kamran takes Kamala for a driving lesson and then out to lunch. They mention Kingo, the Bollywood version, not the Eternal version, uh, because he basically fakes himself into a new legacy actor every few decades, and it's just this long legacy of family of actors in Bollywood. <laughs> Nobody sees through it for some reason. It's really funny. Um, then her brother, uh, Kamala's brother and his fiance run into them, and they have make up some lie about Kamran being their like long lost cousin. It kind of flies with Amir, but Taisha definitely sees through it. Over dinner with Taisha that night, we learn more about Kamala's ancestors and the family before coming to the US. Back during partition, when India split off parts as Pakistan and Bangladesh, this was all due to the British colonialism, colonialism suddenly having left and leaving chaos in their wake. Amir says, every Pakistani family has a partition story and none of them are good. The story goes, Muniba's mother, Sana, has a child as a child, got separated from her parents during partition as they boarded the last train. Somehow, by herself, she got back onto the train as it left. What Sana said was that she followed a trail of stars right back to her father. However, there was some family drama with Sana's mother and the ancestors who owned the bangle. Who was the ancestor who owned the bangle? Sorry. They don't know what happened to her. She pretty much just disappeared that night uh, among the others. Now, upon hearing this retelling of the story, the bangle on Kamala's arm starts to glow, the room begins to shake, and Kamala has another vision. It is a big white hole that rips open reality, and beyond it, she sees a woman with her hand outstretched and the sound of a train whistle. This time when she wakes, she had actually fainted. That night, Kamala video chats with her nani, Sana, when she says the bangle belonged to her mother, Aisha, but she can't talk about it more because uh, Muniba, her daughter, will get very upset. It's Kamala's mother. Still, she asks her mom in the morning about Aisha. Muniba is immediately upset, saying that woman brought shame on their entire family and that she had to move halfway across the world to forget it. So what I'm thinking, uh, Aisha obviously reappeared obviously had to have once Muniba was born. How else would she say, how else would she know anything about her? Um, maybe she tried to teach her about the family's powers, maybe tried to take her 
Um, it takes Hana off to teach her something herself. Uh, who, who really knows? But she definitely appeared at some point in Muniba's life. Uh, then it came to really bad terms and Muniba left. The Ms. Marvel comics do have a partition story for her family and it is told in Ms. Marvel number 8 as part of the tie-ins to Civil War 2. I actually read these issues. In the issue's prologue, we flash back to India in 1947 as Kamala's great-grandmother, Aisha, and her husband prepare to journey to the newly formed nation of Pakistan. At the time, Aisha is pregnant with an unnamed daughter, Kamala's grandmother. Before leaving, Aisha's nerves are calmed when she looks up into the beautiful night sky and sees a shooting star. From the moment Aisha first knew she was with child, she felt the child came from somewhere else, somewhere safe, beyond the falling stars. Aisha took this as a sign that she was doing the right thing for her child. So you can see a little bit of the connection that they make with the uh, Disney Plus backstory of her family and the comic version with the stars that um, are definitely going to be related. Cat is trying to tear stuff open. <laughs> uh, we're back at the mosque today for Eid. Uh, Bruno joins the family, Nakia racks up votes for the mosque board, and we meet the Illuminantes, which is awesome uh, and hilarious. Zoe is taken into questioning, and they pretty much use her to figure out um, that the, the whoever was in the costume um, was a Middle Eastern person, and they get all sketchy about it, of course, and make the decision to raid temples and community centers and mosques. At the end of the night, uh, a little boy at Eid climbs a clock tower and loses his footing, leaving none other than Ms. Marvel to save him. It does have its moments, but in the grand finale, the bangle begins to glow again and Kamala once again has a vision of a woman with an outstretched hand. She has sticks in her hair and is clearly trying to communicate with Kamala. This breaks her concentration and the boy falls again, leaving him... Uh, leaving him to fall on a pretty rough landing, but it could have gone way worse without her help. And of course, when she tries to go and run off, the Department of Damage Control, DODC, make their arrival uh, with the scary freaky lady in charge going pretty much full Rambo. Interestingly, Kamran hides to her, uh, sorry, Kamran comes to her aid in his fancy car and who do we see in the back seat? None other than the woman from the Bengal Visions. Uh, Kamran introduces her as his mother. Uh, one thing to note about Kamran here is that um, in the comics, Kamran would take the new humans, he would take teenage new humans, and new humans are what they called the new inhumans, um, and he would take them to a villain called Lineage, who would then experiment on them, and he thought that they, he was helping them because they were in pain and all this stuff for being what they are, so real dark stuff, uh, but we'll have to, I mean, I already watched the next episode. I won't say, I won't spoil the next episode. <laughs> a couple of fun things about this episode, episode two. Uh, the banger during the training montage is a song called Goddess by Cruella and Nervo, featuring Raja Kumari. Cruella is currently made of Pakistani-American sisters. That was strange phrasing, made of. Uh, Pakistani-American sisters Jahan and Yasmin Yousaf, who make EDM, and Raja Kumari is an Indian-American rapper. 
The music during part of the training montage is by Brandon B. Mike Odoms. He is based in New Orleans. He's a black artist and activist who creates bold work at the intersection of art and resistance. Be My Baby by the Ronettes when Kamala is dancing through the house plays and her inner world feels like an intentional nod to the way the song opens over Baby's internal monologue in Dirty Dancing, which is itself a very political movie about a young woman who feels caught between doing the right thing and her family's expectations as she figures out her identity independent of her family. Kamala and Kamran hiding behind the menus at their lunch date is super cute and feels instantly iconic. It itself is also borrowed from Greece when Sandy and Danny go on their date to try and hide from the gang. I've never seen Greece. Every time Bruno wears the red vest, he does look like Marty McFly uh, with the blue shirt. Uh, the tour of the Eid celebration was done just like the Mean Girls cafeteria clique, but is far more clever and far less racist. Uh, the bit at the party where some jock clown offers Kamala a drink and she says, is there alcohol in this? And he lies. That is straight out of the very first issue of Ms. Marvel, panel to panel. Finally, we get to see Iman Vellani rock Kamala's flap hat and oversized army jacket combo from the comics, which she is fairly well known for. And that wraps up this episode. Again, I apologize for the lateness. If you've stuck around this long and have any interest in hearing why, there's a few reasons, one of which being, I mean, the biggest of which being uh, my physical health has not been great. Uh, in 2018, I developed some ulcers and they were misdiagnosed. <laughs> my symptoms were misdiagnosed as exhaustion. <laughs> um, so I had that for a year. I lost something like 40 pounds. Um, I weighed less than I did in junior high school. <laughs> um, and then I finally was able to get to a GI doctor who did the nice little down the throat test and discovered that I had ulcers that were constantly just trying to heal themselves. So um, I, th that all kind of got fixed, but fairly recently I've kind of had a recent bout of returning ulcers. Um, I, I haven't been to a GI doctor about it, but based on the slowly growing symptoms, um, it became pretty clear um, after like two weeks of symptoms and then the end of those two weeks becoming like severely, severely painful, missing work, just having awful, awful time. Um, it, it became pretty clear to me that I am either having ulcers now or just developing them again. So, um, and if you're not familiar for me, I don't know if it's honestly, I have no idea if it's the same for everybody, but for me, when I have an ulcer, um, or ulcers or whatever, I can't eat. I have no appetite. Um, the smell of food will make me nauseous and I will be so nauseous, um, pretty much any time that I'm conscious that I will just start coughing. It'll be so nauseous. I can't help but cough, um, until I end up throwing up, um, and, uh, one of the, and oftentimes because you're unable to eat and keep food down, there's nothing in your stomach. And then you, you get the lovely, like neon yellow and green bile, um, which I don't think is supposed to be that color because when you throw up normally, it doesn't really come out. But, um, when you have an ulcer, that stuff sits in your stomach and messes you up. Uh, so I'm back on the correct medications for the ulcer prevention now. 
Um, and hopefully, uh, we'll be back on track with the podcast from here on out. I am still planning on recording the Patsy podcast next week. Um, I am also planning, uh, it's going to be for the June Yancey Street special. Um, and then episode 69, which is going to come out Monday, it's going to have some news. I saved the Tim Sale tribute for then so I can do some proper work on it. It will have comic book picks of which we have some really fun ones to talk about, uh, polls for the coming week. And we are also going to discuss the finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi and episode three of Ms. Marvel, which was had a lot of reveals and a lot of cool stuff. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about what I have missed covering on Star Trek Strange New Worlds through uh, yesterday's episode, which was episode eight. So you can expect all of that and potentially more on Monday's episode 69. Uh, in addition, I also have a special kind of thing I'm going to try doing where I'm going to put the September comic solicitations in their own podcast episode. Um, because it's a lot and it's just Marvel and DC and I, I kind of feel like I bore people with that sometimes. So I'm going to add that in its own separate thing, uh, podcast special. So expect that to come out Monday as well as episode 69. And by the end of the week, the Patsy Walker Hellcat special. Um, and I can guarantee you that there will be some things in there you did not know about Patsy Walker, um, and her history. So I'm quite excited to be going over all of that information with y'all. Um, again, you can find all of my links to um, where to find me on social media and things, uh, how to support the podcast, which again, I've been really sick, so I would, and it would be a great time. Um, Stop eating that. Kitten, sorry. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, we'll be back uh, as long as my health continues to improve. It seems that getting back within two days of being back on the correct medicine, I am... It's unbelievable how much better I feel. <laughs> it's truly unbelievable. Um, but so hopefully that this will be continuing in a, in a positive upswing and uh, we'll get more fun, sweaty content out for you ASAP. It is quite hot where I am. I've gone through six, no joke, six glasses of water today and it is 2 p.m. Uh, make sure you stay hydrated, especially if you are being physically active or outside in the heat at all. Hydrate hippies. Um, when I say get sweaty, I mean that about comics. I don't necessarily mean go outside and dehydrate yourself. I don't mean that at all, actually. Um, so stay inside and get sweaty about the comics. And then uh, drink a lot of water and try to keep up with your health because I'm a great example of if you don't. Um, yeah, have a good week. Oh, and it's summer. It's officially summer, so happy Equinox. Um, the cat is losing it. I'll have to post pictures to my site so you guys can see the cat or just go on my social media and see it. He's everywhere. Um, but yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. I appreciate your support and any time spent listening. <laughs>